0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit, it's strong, and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to
2: podcasts.
0: All you ever for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now?
2: The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Through Gear. Be
1: aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me (laughs) want (laughs) to
2: So I have the Bills at 7. I love their coaching. I like their defense. Doesn't quite feel as ferocious as last year, but Josh Allen is the story. 15 touchdowns, one pick this season. Stephon Diggs has added a deep threat element. They did not have three games with a completion percentage of 70% or more. He looks like a baby Big Ben, but even more athletic. I really like Buffalo. They feel like a team capable, barring injuries, of doing all the things you need to do. Well coached, don't turn it over, good run defense, and an explosive dynamic at wide receiver.
0: Welcome
1: everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. that's my producer Chris Krueger, and that was Colin Cowherd, talking about the Bills being number seven in his herd hierarchy. Number one in the AFCs, baby.
2: Number one with a bullet. How does that feel? Feels good, you know. Last two games, uh, beat a little bit of competition. Got some more competition on the way with Tennessee and Kansas City down the pipeline. But how good does it feel? For me, it feels good. I don't know about about you, based on Whoa. your actions on Sunday, Chris. Yeah,
1: just a reminder—that's a hot mic. <laughs> just a
2: reminder, hot mic. Yeah, I know how microphones work. I'm the one that speaks into it. Do you? Yes.
1: So where were you last week? (laughs) Ah!
2: You know, I had a note. Folks,
1: we could beat around the bush about how and why it happened. All we know is that we're glad you're back with us this week as we launch directly into our week four recap. The Buffalo Bills 30, the Raiders 23. Stats of the game. Josh Allen, 24 of 34, 70.5%, 288 yards, two touchdowns, 115.8 rating. His worst game of the 2020 season.
2: Yeah, he's regressing.
1: <laughs> Derek Carr, 32 of 44, 72.7%, 311 yards, two touchdowns, and one fumble, a 107.3 rating. Derek Carr now leads the NFL in fumbles since twenty fourteen.
2: Well, you know, he's Dan- elite! He's elite. Well, Daniel Jones has only been in the league how long? We'll catch him by the end of the season.
1: Josh Allen on passes of ten or more yards downfield. Eight for eight, one hundred and sixty two yards and two touchdowns.
2: That's a sexy stat. Wide
1: receiver Stefan Diggs, sixty seven for one hundred and fifty five yards. 23rd this week in average separation. Just 3.1 yards of average separation from his defensive back. 44th in the NFL in average cushion allowed by the defense in week 4. His average depth of target was 10.2 yards downfield. If you factor in the play-action bomb, that number jumps up to 15.4 per target. Downfield weapon. Running back comparison... Devin Singletary, 76 all-purpose yards, one touchdown. Josh Jacobs, 73 all-purpose yards, no touchdowns. Singletary, five touches of one or fewer yards. And Jacobs had eight of one or fewer. And Brian Dayball, more than four targets for wide receivers, one through three, and the number one running back. One completion of 14 or more yards to each of your top four wide receiver options. He's now fourth in the NFL in first downs obtained, and he's seventh in scoring drive percentage. Chris, if we're going to start this game off, it, the conversation has to start with Brian Dable. It has to.
2: Yeah. I like that Brian, da- I like that Brian Dable has uh, a quarterback to work with. Because when we did hire him, we did mention that he had Brady Quinn twice.
1: Sunday might have been the first time since he was hired here that I caught the words coming out of my own mouth. I'm so happy we have Brian Dable.
2: You had to have said that when he was the O.C. at Alabama.
1: No, to be honest, I didn't realize who he was. I was just like, hey, roll tide. Hey, you know, oh, good. The Alabama's good again. Great. You sound like a fairweather fan. No, what I sound like is a guy who just knows that. Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, it doesn't matter. Alabama by 40. All right, that's how that works. First time those words have ever come out of my mouth. He has done a phenomenal job scheming up things on a week-to-week basis. And outside of third quarters, his play calling has been spot on with what the Bills needed. I think that might be one of the biggest departures from last season the varied approaches Dable is taking right now and the way he's utilizing the talent that he's got on hand, the the, the aftermath of it is spectacular. You look at this. Look at what he rolled out on Sunday, Chris. Four of his first six drives ended in touchdowns, with a fifth one ending in a field goal. Your first six touches of the ball all put points on the board. First of all, how does another team compete with that?
2: Uh, with a better quarterback and better wide receiver group. Okay.
1: But if you're not going to miss, especially early, it puts pressure. You know, Me and uh, Uncle Pete on our softball team, we, he's, he's a 57-year-old man who runs like a 67-year-old man who plays softball with a bunch of 30-year-olds. He's hysterical, and he thinks he's the captain of the team. But he, he had a valid point this year. We tried it and it worked. When you put speed on the base paths, and I, I'm not a Major League Baseball guy, so maybe this is a trope that everybody knows, but when you put speed on the base paths early in a slow-pitch softball game and you just start running the bases, when you have a guy who can go from first to third where most people can only go from first to second, and then you put four of those guys at the top of your order, it puts a certain amount of pressure on your opposition. We're watching the Buffalo Bills do that to people. It's changing the way that our, it's dictating play to our opponents. And one of the coolest parts of this is watching Brian Dable dial up route combos that at any given time, Josh has at least one option open for a sizable play downfield, while also bringing in conflicting routes for the defensive backs to try and diagnose and react to in real time. Do you remember the game where I... It was the Broncos game. It was the the famous heat wave game.
2: Yeah, I was there in jeans.
1: Yeah, in jeans. The hottest Bills game ever on record and Chris is wearing jeans, folks. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. We watched Rick Dennison dial up a pass play where on third and eight, all three wide receivers somehow ended up within like 10 feet of each other. This... (laughs) fresh air by comparison. When you watch them play, Allen he can pick and choose when and where to attack the opposing defense. He's not pigeonholed into relying on just one specific weapon. Cover one.net actually has a really fantastic bit about this and their takeaways from Sunday's game, outlining how Singletary's long screen pass. The thing that broke it was the defense's just attention to digs combined with a little bit of pre-snap motion that cleared a lane for the running back to be able to make a play. And just last week, we talked about how his creativity and play design sprung Cole Beasley. It's the reason that we converted on 3rd and 22 against their cover 4 defense. And it's the reason Diggs was able to beat Ramsey's man coverage in the end zone when it mattered. Because they cleared the safety out to cover someone else. And it was a one-on-one matchup. Chris, I, I don't know how to describe this other than... For the first time, we're seeing a Bills offensive coordinator run an offense... It's not succeeding because of gimmicks or because of weak competition. It's succeeding because we're finally able to dictate plays to an opposing defense.
2: Because we have talent.
1: (sighs) That's it. It's a perfect marriage of play call and talent on hand. I mean, you talk about the fact that our wide receivers, from top to bottom, number one through number four, have played over through four games 50% or more of all available snaps. He's getting multiple wide receivers in there because guys like Gabe Davis keep producing. When we drafted Gabe Davis, I thought that was a throwaway.
2: Yeah, that's generally what you do in the fourth round. But I
1: figured that guy's a long shot. Instead, he's become, out of the gate, a, a productive member of this offense in spots.
2: Well, everybody seemed to have been, especially Nate Geary, was on Isaiah Hodgins over Gabe Davis, who we took in, what, the sixth, seventh round. Mm-hmm. But so far, he's been plagued by injuries, and every opportunity that we've given Gabe Davis, he's exceeded those expectations.
1: Well, but think about this. When he had to step in and cover for John Brown, he disappeared. Because he's not, right now, at his stage of development, a good number 2 wide receiver. He couldn't go out there and play this Zay Think about what we did to Zay Jones. We drafted him in the second round and rushed him out there to try to save our passing attack. Yeah, because
2: we didn't have anything.
1: Now we have a rookie wide receiver who can come in in spots. In spots where our offensive coordinator, like on his touchdown pass, says, hey, that's a rookie cornerback. Now I know you might not be able to beat their one or two, but against their four who's a rookie, if I can throw a conflicting route combination by the running back to keep his eyes in the backfield for just a second or two, Move a tight end around so that he feels like he has an obligation somewhere else on the field. He doesn't have the experience to know he's supposed to follow that wide receiver, and it resulted in a touchdown. (laughs) It's his only catch of the day, but it was, it worked. Credit Brian Dable for these things. I mean, I know we all want to sing the praises of Josh Allen, no one saw his growth coming. But Brian Daybold is really doing the yeoman's work here, making this, manufacturing all of this offense. And it's been incredible. It's a resurgence. And it speaks to not just his acumen, but the job Brandon Bean did getting him talent. And when you look at the talent that made the biggest impact on Sunday, I one by land and one by air, I look at Diggs and Singletary. Diggs? What can you say about the guy, Chris? I...
2: I don't know what can't you say about him. The guy's been incredible. He's all over the field. He's catching deep balls. He's catching out routes. He's making contested catches. He's been unbelievable.
1: Every single week, even as Dable likes to spread the ball around and just abuses opposing secondaries, Diggs is the guy whose fingerprints are pretty emphatically all over every single one of these wins we've had. In 2019, John Brown had 19% of the first downs for this team. With his performance on Sunday with five of six catches moving the chains, Diggs actually has a higher percentage of our current first downs. He's accounting for 20 and a half. 18 of our 88 total first downs. John Brown is still out there. That wide receiver who was such a critical part of your offense last year is still out there. He's still available to make plays for you, like the the touchdown that wasn't a touchdown because, you know, the rule the Bills can't score in the third quarter. You know yes. the NFL passed that, and apparently none of us
2: yes. read about
1: it. He's still out there, able to make plays for your team, but instead they got another dynamic guy who can somehow carry more of the load, more of the load than that guy did last year. In every game, he's made a play or two that left leaves you shaking your head, going, "Good God, was that oh, oh Brandon Bean? You almost want to. You wish Brandon Bean was there so you could hug him." Diggs makes one of those plays every game. I mean, the touchdown against Ramsey in the Rams game where he just undresses him. Yeah. He steals an interception from the Miami defensive back in that game, high points it over his back, mosses him, and then goes on to just abuse their rookie, their rookie cornerback, pretty much their secondary as a whole. He ran wild on that team. Then he sticks a dagger in the Raiders with that highlight reel 49-yard uh, catch to set up the insurance touchdown, if you will.
2: Yeah, it was the first play after the uh, Norman fumble.
1: Diggs now leads the NFL in contested catches, which is the thing that he was advertised to thrive in. And his presence on this roster, to me, has almost single-handedly transformed our offense. Because we finally have that player that gives our quarterback some confidence. He can scan the field, but he knows that that guy. Number 14, if I can locate him on the field somewhere, and even if he looks covered, I can still give him an opportunity and he'll probably bail me out. You're seeing Josh Allen become a more confident quarterback. Diggs is a massive part of that. And the impact has been our offense just blowing defenses wide open. Because while they're trying to account for digs, the Beasleys and the John Browns of the world are thriving, making big plays. How many times, though? (laughs) Cole Beasley's a small guy. Yeah, he got like... Doesn't it look like they're playing harder than they did last year? Yeah. Those wide receivers, I feel like that's, that's the unspoken thing, the thing that you can't quantify. You're watching Beasley making leaping catches.
2: Yeah, that touchdown pass was, (laughs)
1: my God. Diggs has brought a set of balls to this wide receiver room. And you can't undersell that. These guys are now out there. You're watching guys like Beasley, who I was on a cruise in April when the April that we signed him. And these drunken cowboy fans were yelling at me as we're talking about football in a hot tub about how good luck with Beasley. He's a me guy. He doesn't give a shit about your football team. He doesn't care about this and that. He's all about himself. Chris, this guy doesn't, he's, he showed it on Sunday. Did you have a Speedo
2: on in that hot tub? Yes. God. (laughs) You're an asshole. I'm on
1: a cruise. Why wouldn't I have a Speedo on? I'm beautiful.
2: God. God. I, every game that, that Beasley, Beasley makes plays like that. I just like him that much more, even if he has that man bun. but
1: It is hard to like that man bun. Yeah. But the fact is, is that you didn't see that type of scrap from our wide receiver core last year. You're seeing it now. And I feel like Stefan Diggs has a lot to do with that. And then you look at the ground game. Singletary had a day to me. You, you said it last week. How I said I wasn't impressed with Singletary's day and I wanted to see more from him. And you said, wait a minute, he just hit 100 yards.
2: Yeah, against the Rams, he had over 100 total yards. He had like 75 rushing and 50 receiving.
1: Okay. (sighs) To me, he had a more impressive day on Sunday because when I look at this... Because he got in the end zone? No. I think there was something about his performance as a whole. First of all, it was his first game as a feature back. He played 51 out of our 60 offensive snaps. They really did give him the load. He, he, he put up more yards after contact than any running back that I've watched play for the Bills recently.
2: Yeah. He's got that contact balance.
1: Consistently breaking tackles for excess yardage, both behind, behind the line of scrimmage and past it. He, Chris, he came into the year, he broke the most tackles in the NFL eight. And I think he had that going into the third quarter against the Raiders this week. He found the end zone for the first time this season and came up with another tackle-breaking run for 11 yards on 2nd and 12 when the team just desperately needed that first down to salt the game away. I understand that as a fan, if your only measure of running back success is highlight reel runs and total yardage, Sunday didn't, didn't look like much to you. But if you're like me, and you're looking at a young 2nd-year running back who wants to—you're hoping that he grows into a contributor for you on offense as part of a running back by committee— it had to be encouraging to watch him step up in moments where he needed to perform. Bailed the offense out by simply not taking negative plays. I mean, it's at least encouraging that we don't need a player like TJ Yeldon. With all of his experience, his acumen is a passing down back, it doesn't matter. Because he's improved that facet of his game to the point where they now trust Singletary to stay in on passing downs. That's huge because he's not a big guy.
2: No, he's like, what, five, six? Yeah.
1: Five, six. (laughs) I think he's like five, eight or five, nine, but yeah. So all that said, I was really impressed with Singletary. I don't care what the blogging community thinks, the box score watchers. I'll see you all in hell. I think he had a, I think he had a solid, not spectacular, but a solid Sunday, given everything that was thrown at him. And then we got to talk about the defense, Chris. The defense picked its spots on Sunday and we got to talk about it. You were the one who brought it up to me as the party started, as the game was getting underway. What did you tell me about the Sunday slate of 1 p.m. games and the scoring that took place?
2: Uh, Yeah, everybody's scoring at will. Defenses aren't really uh, playing very good defense. Do you remember the numbers you gave me? No, the only thing I remember at the end of Sunday was that five teams failed to score 21 points. Colts, Bears, Giants, Rams, and Redskins. Colts and Bears played each other, and so did the Rams and Giants.
1: Yeah. Going out of the 1 p.m. slate of games, only one game had fewer than 50 total points scored, and that game had 48. In total, nine of the 13 games played went over 50 points. Going back to week four of 2019, nine games of less than 50 points. Six games of less than 25 points. The Bills versus Patriots game that week was 16 to 10. A 26 point game. It is obvious that the effects of a truncated offseason program and this league's just penalty initiatives, they're, they're impacting the way that, they're impacting the way the defenses are performing. Chris, right now you have 12 quarterbacks with more than a thousand yards passing three quarterbacks with double-digit touchdowns already, and 11 defenses are allowing more than 100 rushing yards per game. That is not what you expect to see at the onset of an NFL season. And the Bills aren't immune from it, as frustrating as it may be for our fans. Chris, how much time did I spend on Sunday just hammering the Bills' defensive line?
2: Most of the day. It's unfortunate with the way that they played, considering they didn't have Incognito or Trent Brown. I know no it, pass rush
1: none and that's the thing you're the you're the NFL's most expensive defensive line as long as I can wave that flag I'm gonna get drunk and yell about it I'm gonna be angry I'm gonna get frustrated I'm not gonna throw things anymore because I promised I wouldn't do that in front of my son but man do I want to i want to spike a bottle or two maybe just take my shirt off yell a little bit but that doesn't happen anymore because I'm a father so with that in mind One thing that stood out to me about the defense, though, Chris, Clutch plays in crunch time. You get the Raiders threatening us at the 36, and Norman forces his first turnover in a Bills uniform.
2: In his first game, with the peanut punch.
1: Punches the ball out, recovers his own fumble, sparks a touchdown drive to give us an insurance touchdown. Yeah. On the ensuing drive, the Raiders, who are now desperate, they go for it on fourth down from their own 30. Ed Oliver makes one of his most, to me, one of his most impressive plays of this entire season. He beats the brakes off offensive guard Gabe Jackson, gets into the backfield, and stops Jacob for a no game on fourth and one. And if it wasn't for a Josh Allen brain fart, we're looking at another score for Buffalo. And the thing is, when you saw Ed Oliver flash last year, it was in that Cowboys game. Yeah. And it was going up against Filo. A guard by the name of Suofilo, who is barely qualified to be a backup in the NFL. Gabe Jackson is a rowdy motherfucker. He, <laughs> excuse my French. He's a big, nasty offensive lineman. I was lucky enough to get to see him play live at Mississippi State. He's a mauler. And the fact that he got beaten that badly in a crunch time moment like that in run game speaks to the work that Ed Oliver's done and how his development's trending. And then, with the Raiders, once again, on the edge of the Bills' red zone, Quinton Jefferson, boom, steps up, makes his first big play for the Buffalo Bills, forces that Derek Carr fumble, gives the Bills the ability to salt away two minutes of clock and force them to burn one of their three timeouts. Yes, the quarter, the defense gave up another solid stand line to a quarterback, I get it. And yes, they failed to hold the opponent under twenty points for a third straight game. But despite all the things that people, myself included, have been complaining about in regards to this defense, I mean, <laughs> I remember yelling and throwing. I threw a beer into the garbage because I didn't want to litter. Chris, I'm trying to be more responsible now. And no, ye- you were just and yelling with Ailey's obnoxious
2: neighbor. Well, yeah, you you threw away a beer because. You're a gentleman. Usually people from North Tonawana just throw that in their neighbor's yard. <laughs> North Tonawana is garbage.
1: Oh, we were talking about the lack of defensive line pressure, all of the failings. But when the game was on the line in the fourth quarter, our defense stepped up and made plays, clutch plays, that we're used to seeing from some of the NFL's best units. And it came from two parts of the Bills', Bill's defensive line. And the defensive line... And the secondary. Two units that took some abuse during this game. This whole bend but don't break philosophy. They bent. Oh, did they bend. But when it came time, we had playmakers. That's what you pay for, Chris. You shelled out the money for a Josh Norman because you know that's a guy who can make plays. Yeah. You shelled out the money for Quentin Jefferson because you know that's a guy who can make plays. You drafted Ed Oliver in the first round because that's a guy who can make plays. When you needed them, they answered. What more can you ask for? And another thing, I'll talk about this. As a team, going into this Titans game, something that should make everybody feel a little bit better. You look at Josh Jacobs and that stat line that I read off in the running back comparison.
2: Yeah, I think he had like 48 yards rushing.
1: Yeah, it wasn't good. You look at his box score, you wouldn't know that he's a first-round draft pick out of Alabama, known for his pedigree, that he's firmly entrenched in the top six of pretty much every positive running back stat, he got outplayed by Devin Singletary. Big reason was our defense, but here's the rub. According to NFL Next Gen Stats, Jacobs saw eight or more defenders in the box just 6.67% of the time. Think about that. Despite going up against one of the better running backs in the AFC, the Bills didn't load the box they trusted that their def- that their linebackers could handle it and that their secondary was going to contribute because they're faster they're more they're more athletic than most defenses safeties right yeah when you break it down on a rush by rush somehow we kept him from inflicting any meaningful damage on on his 8 touches in the first half he was tackled by linebackers just 3 times Now, normally, you'd assume that's a bad thing, right? Oh, the running back got into our secondary, and that's why you're seeing D-backs tackling him. Yeah. Okay. On those nine linebacker stops, he gained an average of four yards. Just four. Our DBs did a fantastic job of coming downhill quickly without compromising their assignments down the field, which is the reason why Derek Carr only completed three passes of more than 15 air yards. And that's it. We ate them alive. No wide receiver posted more than 60 yards. Waller, their star weapon at tight end, he had nine catches and had over nine yards per catch. But he only generated two yards after the catch. And on two of them, he only had that on two of them. And then on just that critical fumble. How do you not have ball security? You're a tight end. You're bigger than Josh Norman. How do you not expect he's going to attack the football? He's half your size. It was it was ugly, but our defense found a way to stiffen up when it mattered. Our secondary contributed to stopping the run without having to load the box, so we were able to hem in their passing attack, especially down the field. I don't know if you can ask, given the league-wide depression of defense, can you ask for more than that? No. Okay, so with that in mind, we got to dole out a hero, and our hero award tonight goes to cornerback Josh Norman.
2: Here's the deal. I'm the best there is. Plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big hairy American winning machine. Chris,
1: our defense showed some legitimate sandpaper. You're a hockey guy. You're familiar yeah. with that term. Heard of it? We showed a little bit of sandpaper down the stretch there in that fourth quarter.
2: Yeah, we did. Uh- our defense, although not playing well, not really getting a pass rush, when it counted, we were able to create turnovers.
1: Do you know who I attribute some of that shift in just composure and attitude to? You? Josh Norman.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say you.
1: In this offseason, we talked with Bruce Nolan about the CB2 battle. Is the only interesting thing that was going to go on. And he had this to say about his take on the battle with the battle between him and Levi Wallace.
2: So one of the things that we like to do here on the Rock Powell Report podcast sometimes is break down that fourth wall of podcasting. Now, right now, you guys are supposed to be listening to a clip from our defensive back preview show back in July with Bruce Nolan from the Bruce exclusive on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network talking about Josh Norman being CB2. I'm going to read you a text that I got last night, Monday night from Drew. For tomorrow, see if you can grab the audio from Bruce on our DB preview show of him explaining why he thinks Norman would be our CB2, specifically that he's more physical. 9:31 I text back, "I'll look. I know he didn't like the signing." Now Bruce, I apologize if I'm letting the cat out of the bag and letting Bill's Mafia know that you were not initially happy with the signing of Josh Norman. Uh 9:37, 7 minutes after the initial text. 50th minute of that episode. Give me a timestamp of what you want so I can grab the audio which I would upload to this tablet here in front of me and I play it live and we just roll right through it. And then I even asked Drew before we started recording tonight, "Hey, that Bruce Nolan audio, what's the timestamp? I'll get it." So I can do my job of being the producer. Drew didn't do it. And I feel like he should be punished for this, for asking for audio and then not telling me what specific audio that he wanted. So I feel like he should, I mean, you gotta tweet at us at Rockpile Report. I feel like he should be having a Seagrams for this or, um, maybe, you know, on, uh, you know, when we win on Sunday. He has to show up to work uh, Monday wearing a cardigan. I mean, I'll, I'll buy him a cardigan off of Amazon so he can wear it to work because Drew hates cardigans. If you got a, a, a punishment for Drew for failing to give me audio that he wanted for this episode, tweet at us, at Rockpile Report. Let us know what you think his punishment should be. Now let's go back to Drew and I talking like we just heard a clip of Bruce Nolan.
1: The reason he pegged Norman as the starter, and the reason he said those things is because while Wallace is younger and a little more athletic, he's proven that he lacks a lot of the physicality, that defending one of the, some of the NFL's bigger wide receiver talents, like playmaking tight end Darren Waller. And coming out on top on a regular basis requires. When you watch Norman on Sunday, it was like a breath of fresh air to me. I noticed that Just First of all, the aggressive nature of his play on rundowns. He's coming downhill towards the line of scrimmage. He attacks it quickly. He stopped Josh Jacobs on his first play on the field. One of his first plays his first tackle for a three yard loss. And on a few other reps, he was crashing the line of scrimmage that helped string the running back out to the sideline. And he proved that he still has a nose for making big plays. I mean, that's a veteran move. To know, hey, this tight end, he's bigger than me. But you know what? He's holding that ball. Like a loaf of bread. I think I got it. Because you see how quickly the fact that he came up with his own fumble speaks to the fact that he knew that ball was coming out. He knew it. He knew what he was doing. Would Levi Wallace be capable of having that same...
2: I don't know. Maybe. We will never know.
1: His insertion to the game brought some spark, and that fourth quarter run of plays, I it was led off by Josh Norman. Obviously, we hope Wallace is back in the lineup soon, because a team without depth is a team asking to get their asses kicked. Just ask the Raiders. I mean, they came into this game beat up, and they, what, took six or seven injuries.
2: Yeah, they left beat up,
1: too. But Norman was a pleasant surprise for this football team, and I feel like we just keep getting handed pleasant surprises, Chris. Each week, there's some new thing where I'm waiting for the sky to fall, and instead, the football gods are like, "Hey,
2: you want to see something nice? Here you go." Yeah, so you should start embracing it. I will not. And acting like it will happen. I will not. Instead of being a negative Nancy,
1: <laughs> Chris hates watching games with me, and yet he does it every weekend.
2: Well, I have to for the for this reason. I still gotta get some more gifts of you. I gotta I gotta sneak some gifts of you. <laughs> I need more for the library. The people want Drew Gear ah, gifts.
1: The people do not want that. I'll tell you what the people want, though. They want to know who our zero of the week is, Chris. Oh, that goes to linebacker A.J. Klein.
2: You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. You didn't know that who our zero was of the week until right before we started recording. And all and you I, had to do was say it. I had to tell you A.J. Klein.
1: And when you said it, how big did my eyes get?
2: you're like, oh, yeah.
1: I wish I could extend this reward beyond A.J. Klein. I'd like to loop in our defensive coordinator for putting him on the field. Our linebackers coach Bob Babbage for not teaching him how to play zone defense. His family for not pushing him towards playing a sport like hockey where he's never asked to put his hands in the air. And God himself for making me suffer through watching A.J. Klein try to play coverage for this defense. He continues to be one of the worst things that I have ever seen on the field as a coverage linebacker. After Sunday's performance, he's now allowed 90% of the passes thrown at him to be completed for the second highest QBR allowed on the team. And he's given up a touchdown. A touchdown that literally brought the Raiders back into the game. (sighs) Chris, I feel like if I'm going to watch them trot him out there this week... Knowing the way that the Titans play football, I'm going to need a pillow to scream into. That's it. That's where we've landed on A.J. Klein. I've had enough. But my final thoughts. The Bills are (laughs) 4-0. I got to keep reminding myself. Goose, Fraba. Yeah.
2: We're good now.
1: The Bills are 4-0. And more importantly, hold a two-game advantage in the AFC East. According to Sal Capaccio of WGR 550, the last time we could say that, Kent Hull was manning the pivot for the Buffalo Bills, and Ted Washington and Phil Hansen were on the field. that's 1995. (laughs) The schedule doesn't get any easier for the Buffalo Bills going forward, but the things we thought were great about this team just seem to keep getting better. Well, the things that drive us nuts, specifically the defense... This week, they showed signs of life. They showed that, hey, you've got playmakers here. It's only a matter of time before it starts getting some consistency. They've got a long way to go. But at the quarter pole of the NFL season, we're not just undefeated, but we've inexplicably got cushion in our quest to host a playoff game. And I think that that celebration, we celebrate that on this podcast, Chris.
2: Oh, yeah. The potential for a playoff game that we won't be allowed to be at.
1: You shut your mouth. We will. I will will it into existence.
2: You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash.
1: Alright, Bills fans, and that brings us to our Week 5 preview, the Buffalo Bills against the Tennessee Titans. Your time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time,
2: allegedly. We're having a game. (laughs) 1 p.m. No. We're playing at 1 o'clock. The place is Nissan Stadium. Do we have a referee crew? No. We don't know? Tom they have Ma- no crew. They have
1: no call. Chris, Tom, they've been hoarding this information from
2: us. Tom McCarthy and Jay Feely.
1: How do you find this stuff out? <laughs> it's
2: the internet. You can find out a lot of things <sighs> on the internet. But that's going to be... We might have to watch the game on mute. Tom McCarthy is garbage.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> No. Uh, well, the good news for you is that you won't be able to hear it over me yelling at the TV.
2: And Jack crying.
1: Injuries of note to keep an eye on. Buffalo has Matt Milano, who's week-to-week with a pec injury. It does not sound like he's in a play. Levi Wallace is also week-to-week. He's probably out with an ankle injury. And right guard Brian Winter with a knee injury doesn't sound like he, it's not. Chris, the fact that they had to put in Spain to finish the game, I don't think we're going to see Winter's. Correct. For Tennessee, the, the, we have A.J. Brown, knee injury. He's missed a couple games, screwed all of my fantasy teams in the process. And then we have to open up a more complicated situation. This COVID suspension conversation. We watched it happen to Cam Newton last night. We watched the New England Patriots lose a game where their defense did everything to stay in that game for as long as they could. Yeah. And two buffoons at quarterback just pissed the game away. Mm Mm-hmm. COVID suspension is a real thing that's going to start disrupting football games. And when you look at this list of players who have it for
2: Tennessee. I mean, Adam Humphreys is a huge loss. I mean, he came to Tennessee to win a championship. (laughs) Right? Didn't he spurn New England no. and signed Tennessee because he wanted to win a championship? That's a fact, huge loss.
1: The fact that you're saying that, Chrissy, you're just as petty as me. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yeah, I, I, chose, I chose Tennessee over New England because I care about titles. <laughs> Jesus. No. so you look at this list of players who show up here. Adam Humphreys, Christian Fulton, the rookie cornerback. Jeff Simmons is a defensive end. Cam Batson, never. Don't know. Cameli Correa, he's a guy. He's a rush linebacker. He did well for him in the playoffs. Tommy Hudson, don't know who he is. Bo Brinkley, they're a long snapper.
2: You don't go near my long snapper, Bo Brinkley. Bo Brinkley, the long snapper.
1: Daquan Jones, defensive line. He's a contributor. He's a rotational player. And Greg Maven at defensive back. That's a list of players. I mean, Humphreys, is you pointed it out, the name that sticks out for reasons that we're going to get into here in a few minutes. And while not being the backbone of the team, Chris, they're not missing a quarterback. They're not missing a running back. They're not missing some critical piece to this team. You kind of have to lean on team. You have to lean on depth, right? Yeah. You're talking about your number three wide receiver, your situational pass rushers in Simmons and Correa. They're long snapper. We've watched what what poor long snapping can do in the NFL. Yes. Reed, in his time with us, just watching football, has schooled the two of us on bad punts that are actually the long snapper's fault. Yeah. It's missed field goals where the onus falls on the snapper, not the kicker. Yep. If your long snapper is out of a game, how can you be expected to compete in special teams?
2: I have uh, I have no idea.
1: So the official rule. Now, I put it out there to the smart people on Twitter, and Bruce Exclusive was nice enough to get back to us. Mr. Bruce Nolan from over at Buffalo Rumblings. He sent us the screenshot of the rules as to whether or not these guys are even going to be able to play. It says, following a positive test, if the player is asymptomatic, he can return once 10 days have passed since the initial positive test or five days have passed since the initial test and the player receives two consecutive negative PCR tests. That's, well, what is that uh, point of?
2: I don't know. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) If you're a doctor, call in. At
1: least 24 hours apart within that five day period. It says, following a positive test, if the player demonstrates symptoms, he can return when at least 10 days have passed since symptoms first appeared and at least 72 hours have passed since he last had symptoms. In either case, a player who tests positive must be cleared by his team's head physician before returning. We don't know who on this list of players is actually going to be available, Chris. What even crazier is that announced just moments before we went to record this podcast, Raiders defensive tackle Mo Hurst tested positive for COVID. This is now going to impact the Buffalo Bills because as I understand the rules, it means every one of our players is now going to have to undergo another round of testing before they're going to be allowed back in the building, indicating that our facility may not be open tomorrow. They... Tuesdays are the days, Chris, where they bring in tryout players. Everyone gets a rest day. They take the day off, and they pick up practice on Wednesday. So you took today off, and now all of a sudden this news breaks. You don't get your Wednesday practice in. That's not good. No. One positive test might screw the Bills out of a whole day of practice. And if you're the the Texans, the Titans... You're looking at the ability to maybe not even get into your building for the first time in a week and a half until Wednesday or Thursday. This whole game is kind of foobar, don't you think? Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I would encourage everybody out there, keep your eyes peeled for updates on this. And if you hear them, keep us updated at Rock Power Report on Twitter. Tweet at us with your updates as it pertains to the Bills and Tennessee game with this new development that there's been a positive test and how it might impact the Bills' practice schedule. But if we're going to talk about this like it's going to happen, let's start with the offense for the Tennessee Titans. If we're previewing this team, it starts with Henry the Hammer and play-action passing. Now, on Sundays... The Bills did a fantastic job of hemming in one of the AFC's most dynamic running backs, and Josh Jacobs. You said it—less than 50 yards rushing. Yes. But if this was Mike Tyson's punchout, <laughs> this would be like you, last week. You went up against Joe Glass, and now you gotta go fight uh, Soda Popinski. Yeah, Soda Popinski, the big guy, pink Russian.
2: I never played Mike Tyson's Punch Out.
1: I of course put, you didn't. You don't watch movies, you don't play good video games. What do you do? What do you do with your
2: time? I have Super Nintendo on the computer.
1: And I, you've never played Mike Tyson Punch Out.
2: No, because I got uh I got uh, what is it, Super Punch Out? I've got that. It's like Josh Jacobs is Gabby J. <laughs> and then Derek Henry is like piston hurricane. Oh my god. I hate you. Then I get then I get that reference. I hate you. I get that reference now. This is why.
1: This is why people are like how come you guys aren't better friends? Because sometimes I just want to kill him.
2: No. We're not better friends because I genuinely don't like you.
1: <laughs> Cheers. We're moving up in weight class both literally and figuratively because now we have to contend with the biggest most physical running back currently playing in the NFL in Derrick Henry. <sighs> He is their workhorse, okay? And it looks like they're trying to squeeze any. Pe- Chris, they just paid him. They just paid him a ton of money, and they're trying to squeeze every penny out of him that they can. He's second in the NFL in rushing attempts, but he's only played in three games. He missed a game, and he's still second in rushing attempts. That's absurd. Our number one running back only has 50 carries compared to his 82. No one else on the roster gets touches which is kind of a double-edged sword, which allows the, it allows defenses to key on them based on personnel. I, I think that... But it can also wear out your running back. You know what I mean? If you have one, one guy who's just your running back, you can run multiple plays with the same formation.
2: Yeah, just look at the playoffs last year.
1: Yeah. But then, at the same time, if he's not a guy who <laughs> contributes in the passing game, and he doesn't... Chrissy's a heavy guy. By the end of a game, he's going to be tired. So far this year, I've noticed a few interesting trends. First of all, as you'd expect, Henry only has four rushes for negative yardage all year. He's a huge man, which is impressive given the fact that he's touched it 82 times. But he hasn't had a single run of more than 20 yards. Not one. <laughs> He's also tied for touchdowns with players who have half his total carries. His here's the here's the one that got me. His rush yards over expect, expectation. It's a stat that NFL Next Gen Stats uses to dictate based on every run with the way the lane develops, distance from nearest defenders, blocking, and his acceleration. How many yards a player? gained over what they should have gained for that rushing attempt. Henry is literally at the bottom of the NFL at negative 48. He's averaging 48 yards less than he should be given his running style and given the blocking that he's been provided. For some reason, he's now generating fewer yards than he traditionally has and it's coming on runs where there's clearly more meat on the bone. <sighs> chris do you remember brandon jacobs
2: heard of him played for the giants
1: yeah, he was a beast do you remember him
2: yeah kind of Gi- like Lendell white
1: giant running back took yeah. a lot of contact yep and when it came time to pay him the giants chose not to because he was clearly slowing down
2: and then he went to san francisco i believe
1: I think think he bounced around the NFL for a hot second and then he was done. He was finished. His career ended very quickly. You can look at the stats on that while I talk about this. Here's one of the things I look at when I see Derrick Henry. I see a less intimidating version of the guy we played last year. I see a guy who, when I watch the tape and I look at what I'm seeing, I see a running back who doesn't have that. The thing that made Derrick Henry dangerous is that he's so big that he's, you're not going to stop him behind the line of scrimmage. But he doesn't have that second gear that he used to. He doesn't. He hasn't hit it yet. And for that reason, I mean, when you think about what their offense used to be, I mean, the ripple effect on their entire team is, it's obvious. In 2019, Tannehill Tannehill was electric when throwing off play action. He had a 140.6 QBR throwing off play action. He was top three in the NFL and throwing the fewest turnover-worthy balls, according to those dickheads over at Pro Football Focus, who hilariously enough, their captain, Sam Monson, blocked us because of you.
2: Yeah, I called him scab.
1: I opened it up, I opened the wounds, and then Chris called him a
2: scab, and that got us blocked. Yeah, he had some tweet, and he, in his tweet he wrote out Ah. Bill's Mafia, but he didn't hashtag it, so... You know, I'll, you know, because well, he's you, sick of taking shit. Well, yeah, because uh, everybody is gonna search that hashtag, and he's not using it, so nobody will see it unless he's following it, or you know, Bill's Mafia ends up seeing it and retweeting it. But he's just a scab. <laughs> he doesn't want to take on our fan base on social media, but oh, being a bitch and I, use the hashtag. I
1: spent the weekend pointing out the flaws in Pro Football Focus's theories, and then they block us. <laughs> over over being called scabs. <laughs> Listen, to hell with those thin-skinned nerds. Here's what I know, is that last year, Tannehill was a much better quarterback when he had a dynamic Derrick Henry to take the, the attention of the defense off of himself. And it's clear this season, when you look at it, that this is how their offense was designed, was to thrive off play action. I mean, Tannehill has only attempted three passes of 20 or more air yards this season, and one of them was a pick. John Smith, their tight end, is fifth in the NFL in yards after the catch. Wide receiver number one, Corey Davis, has more than half of his 206 receiving yards before the catch. They're taking downfield shots, dumping it off to a dynamic tight end who can break tackles. They're using physicality to against smaller secondary opponents. That's the crux of their entire offense. But when you have a problem at running back, Chris, the way they have it, because the fear used to be that, hey, you can't let Derrick Henry get away from the line of scrimmage. This season, teams haven't been stacking the box against him. And he's still struggling to produce yardage. The way we hemmed in Josh Jacobs last week, our secondary crashing line of scrimmage, but not abandoning their posts, I feel like that could pay dividends this week. I almost feel like that was like a warm-up to what we're going to see this weekend and what this is going to require. But their offensive approach does present a few problems for the Bills. First of all, Milano being out, it's going to expose either A.J. Klein, which I will, Chris, at some point I'm going to throw a beer. That's what's going to happen or rookie Tyrell Dodson to coverage. The coverings for the Bills, they've allowed our opponents to stay in the game by giving up a lot of underneath passes for completions and extending drives. This offense is literally built to do that. And given the banged up nature of our linebacker core, I can see a world where they struggle to defend that for extended periods of time. If there is a silver lining here, only three players on the offense, wide receiver Corey Davis, wide receiver Adam Humphreys, tight end John Smith. They make up 83% of the team's touchdowns and 59 of the team's 97 targets. That's 61% of all passes thrown go to those three guys. 43 of their 70 catches. Literally the only players producing are those three and one of them might be part of this COVID group. They've allowed themselves to become incredibly... <laughs> They're almost the antithesis of the Buffalo Bills on offense. The Bills, we have five or six different weapons we can hit you with. We have Tyler Croft in the red zone. We have Dawson Knox. We have a Gabe Davis. We have a Beasley. We have a Diggs. We have a Brown. Their offense... Singletary. Their offense has three guys who get all of the snaps, all of the looks, all of the targets. And if that doesn't work... They don't have a backup plan. I th- do. You th- what do you think about that, Chris?
2: I mean, I won't mind if Johnny Smith has a decent game. You know, fantasy.
1: Put your fantasy outside. <laughs> Put your fantasy outside the front door and talk to me. Does this offense scare you?
2: Um, Not really, because I just believe that they happen to be one-dimensional with Derrick Henry. I mean, I have not watched much of Tennessee this year, but from watching all of the playoff the playoff games from last year all they do is just run Derrick Henry and i just assume that that's what they're going to try to do limit Tannehill to like 20 throws and spend the rest of the time running Derrick Henry down our throats but if we have to put AJ Klein in coverage they will become a passing team to Johnny Smith Four fantasy points.
1: Here's the thing that I find the most damning about this iteration of the, uh, the Tennessee Titans. Look at their opponents. The Denver Broncos, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Minnesota Vikings. You're talking about a team. You're talking about teams, Chris, that are a combined three and nine. You're not exactly beating winners. You don't have a single off, you haven't played a single offense inside the top 15 in the NFL and now they're about to go up against the most aggressive passing game in the AFC. (laughs) What scares me for them is their lack of defensive composure. Last year, the Titans were able to grind their way through not one, but two postseason victories, beating both the Patriots and the Ravens, teams that were known for their consistency and execution, or at least during the regular season. After that, one of those quarterbacks... Turns into a pumpkin. Well, almost like Brian Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and they gave Kansas City better than a lot of people expected before inevitably, you know, conceding the loss. Much of that was due to their ball control style of offense and the play of their defense, which stiffened up along the defensive line. And then you execute some great coverage. Think about that Ravens game. Do you remember, Chris, watching? them knock balls away from the tight ends. Intercepting passes that were poorly thrown to the boundary because Lamar Jackson has a noodle arm. They their defense won that game for them. Against the Ravens. Yeah. That team has not showed up in twenty twenty. You think about how crazy that sounds, because they things were supposed to be good. They added pass rush talent. They signed Vic Beasley in free agency. They tr- they got former pro bowler Davian Clowney. They brought in Jonathan Joseph to play a cornerback role. They added Christian Fulton out of DBU in the draft to give them a young, potentially number one or number two cornerback. They returned a lot of last year's starters. Through three games, their team has given up 422 yards per game to opposing offenses. That's 27th in the NFL, which seems crazy considering the fact that they've spent all this money, returned all this talent, and who they were last year. Even worse, they've allowed three teams, like I said, 3-9 and record, to rack up 30 points to the Vikings, 30 points to the Jaguars, Who got blown up by the Dolphins? Are you scared of the Dolphins? Not this season. Okay. So then by the transitive property, if the Dolphins beat the Jaguars and the Jaguars almost beat the Titans, does it stand to reason the Titans might not be very good? They might not be. (laughs) And then you start to see a picture develop. First of all, the coverage issues at their linebackers. Here's where they're soft. Rashawn Evans and Jam Brown. Last year, they teamed up with Kenny Vaccaro and Kevin Byard to be one of the NFL's better middle-of-the-field coverage units over the last month of football. And into the postseason, when you look at their numbers this year, they're the worst unit on that defense. I mean, Evans and Brown are each allowing more than 75% of their targets to be completed, specifically Jam Brown who in three games has given up 14 catches on 19 targets for 130 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Tight ends and running backs, he gets abused. He can't cover in space. He's a downhill linebacker, and that's probably all he's good for. In weeks one through three, they've given up a, t- a touchdown to a tight end in every single game. And until they played the weak passing attack against the Vikings, they'd give it the tight ends. The Titans' safeties have sucked, too. Which is surprising because Kevin Byard is one of those guys who, I mean, I remember him getting the call from Deion Sanders.
2: Oh, yeah. That's where Deion Sanders didn't know who he was. Yes. And
1: he got <laughs> mad. And then they had the conversation. and It was a, it was great TV. Right now, the two of them have given up a 72% completion percentage. And they both have a 19.5% and a 20% missed tackle rate. Chris, Compare that to the Buffalo Bills. Our safeties have a 7.4 and a 4.3 missed tackle rate.
2: Yeah, I would say that those are pretty good numbers. Ah!
1: And when they're targeted, they're giving up a QBR of over 94. Throwing the liability that those safeties have been against the run and the fact that the team has failed to keep a team under 100 yards rushing at all this year. This is a te- Chris. This seems like a defense ripe to just be beaten to shit by our offense, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does. You, we going, have we have all the weapons. The,
1: we do have all the weapons, Chris. It's not even ten o'clock. You're yawning. Well, you know,
2: late night. Late night. It's hard. Late, uh, dra- Dave, we had double Monday night football games last it's night. It's hard dragging
1: like, around that crippled back of yours.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Carry it around. It weighs me down. Here's what I see knowing what we have
1: on the offense. I mean think about this. First of all, Dable is going to have his opportunities given the pre-snap motion we've been incorporating in the play action to get matchups like Beasley. Beasley against the Rams had 100 yards and it didn't stand out. Like you didn't you didn't count it as being anything spectacular, right?
2: No. He quietly had 100 yards. I didn't know that until just now. <laughs> right?
1: Then thinking about what we have on the outside, Gabe Davis Gabe Davis is going to have room to operate in the middle of the field because this this linebacking and safety core has done a really bad job this year. A really bad job of spacing, of recognizing things, of coming downhill and making just routine plays. This is where we can make our hay. Because think about it. He's going to be matched up against the linebackers and your fourth defensive back. The only time the Raiders gave us that matchup with Gabe Davis... We exploited it for a touchdown. And then when you look at their pass rush, they don't really have anything going on. I mean, their D-line controlled that game against the Ravens in the playoffs, which is what I expected to see when I went back and looked at their numbers and looked at who they are this year in 2020. And man, they're like everybody else, Chris. They're struggling to generate pressure. It made me feel a little bit better about our Bills situation. And the problem I think they're having is that they're overcompensating. Because think about this. Their coach is a defensive coordinator.
2: Yeah, Mike Vrabel.
1: Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel is a former defensive player, a former D coordinator. Now he's a head coach. Mike Vrabel believes that pass rush is the most important thing. That's how you control a football game. So unlike a lot of teams we've played so far this year, this team works really hard to try to manufacture that. And when you see the numbers, it's gross. I mean, the defensive tackles as a position group have just three quarterback pressures through three games and one sack. Our D tackles have done like three times that. Their three linebackers, Landry, Brown, and Evans, have double-digit blitz numbers. And their strong safety, Kenny Vaccaro, isn't behind. They've blitzed 44 times in three games. And for all that blitzing, those four players have just six pressures in one sack. What that tells me is that their defensive line isn't that threatening and that Part of the reason they're getting burned so often is because they're vacating their responsibilities in coverage to try to generate pressure. What do you think they're going to do against a quarterback like Josh Allen? They're going to
2: try to disrupt him. Yeah, but Josh Allen will truck stick them.
1: Well, but, <laughs> and the problem is when you're built like that and you have to blitz in order to create pressure, now you're asking fewer guys to cover what a Brian Dable led offense who right now is just firing on all cylinders. He has plays drawn up for anything you want to throw at him. Blitz beaters. He's got cover four beaters, cover one beaters, man coverage beaters. He's Right now he's dealing. He's got a hot hand. And you're going to put us up against a team that literally has to blitz to create still no pressure. I like our odds against their front seven, Chris. I really, really do. And that brings us to this week's Keys to Victory. Wow, that's a lot of keys. Bigger the key chain, more powerful the man. More powerful the man? I'm going to be saying that about Josh Allen after this game's over. Because I expect him to exploit their open field tackling and his time in the pocket. Heading into this week, Josh Allen is amongst the league's leaders in time to throw. And the reasons are twofold. For the first time in his career, Josh Allen has been great against the Blitz... Teams find themselves conflicted because of Dable's play calling, and they can't put the type of pressure on him that they want to. Or they send so much pressure that there's an immediate option open and Allen can find it quickly, just to get the ball out, a hot read. And our pass protection has been better than last year, although they should take their tape versus Aaron Donald last week and just sink it to the bottom of the Mariana stretch. I mean, get rid of that. Because outside of that, this defense has—the defenses haven't been getting to Josh Allen. Would you agree with that, Chris?
2: No, they haven't. I don't think he's been sacked that much. No.
1: I mean, other than him running around.
2: Yeah. Fuck. Holding the ball like a loaf of bread or trying to truck a linebacker.
1: So as the Tennessee Titans' pass rush struggles, it's going to open up that intermediate defense to just abuse— And I think that our team would seem to be well-equipped to hit them for sizable gains and yard-after-the-catch opportunities. I mean, they're going to need Dable to be on his A-game to exploit those weaknesses, but it's a matchup that I really, really like there right in the middle of the field. Number two is contain the rush. I know it sounds stupid because you're playing Derrick Henry. Everyone knows that. But he looks like a much weaker version of himself, and his quarterback is making hay off defense's commitment to stopping his individual success. The Bills have to replicate what they did against the Raiders in stopping the run and forcing the offense into long passing situations without stacking the box. They stopped Josh Jacobs with just 6.6%. You're probably going to need a little bit more than that to stop Derrick Henry, but the fact remains is that you're going to have to be cognizant of your responsibilities in pass coverage because what all they're trying to do is slip little passes behind you. Five to seven yards downfield, get behind your linebackers and hope for yards after the catch. That's it. That's all this offense is built to do. Either pound you with the run, which they haven't done, and it's screwed them. And it's the reason these games have been so close is because their running game has not, it hasn't, it hasn't shown itself. So they get into firefights with teams, but their play-action passing is done just enough to allow them to win every game by a field goal. I shouldn't say that. It's like, what, five, six points per game? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it right
2: now. I mean, Goskowski had that one game, was it against the Vikings? They had, he had six field goals.
1: They've won 16-14, 33-30, and 31-30. They're hanging on for dear life against shitty football teams. We go in there, we put the boots to them. And that starts with the third key is us getting the early lead. I know it sounds stupid and there's people going, oh, hey, Drew. (laughs) Oh, great insight. You get the lead early. Listen, the thing that routinely screws over the Ravens to the degree that their team is 0-10 when trailing at halftime is that you get a lead to disarm their play-action passing. It throws their whole offense out of whack. The Bills are fourth in the entire NFL. Chris... This is the thing that makes me feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I feel like a lunatic. Like, this is 2020. This is peak 2020 right here. The words coming out of my mouth are so fucking alien. And unlike any conversation I've had about this team in the five years that we've been doing this podcast, they are fourth in the whole NFL in first quarter scoring. Impressive. In terms of margin... We're plus 21 points in first quarters. And we're plus 47 in first halves. That kind of pressure. Remember what we were talking about? Slow pitch softball? Yeah. You load up the bases. You put some speed out there. You build some... You get guys who can go from first to third. And it puts pressure on the opposing team. Scoring the way we have has put pressure on our opponents to execute that you've watched blow up in their faces.
2: And what are those numbers for the third quarter?
1: We're going to talk about that in this week's AFC's Roundup because it's not good. But it's a recipe that's worked through every game this season. Chris, we've outscored every opponent we have in the first quarter. Badly. We've outscored every opponent we've had in the first half. Pretty badly. The Raiders were the first ones to make it close. Yep. So with that said, if our approach here, and the, the way we got out to a big lead led to the Raiders only giving Josh Jacobs eight touches in the first half, one of the playmakers that they needed to change the course of that game. If you can get Henry, who's a non-factor in the passing game, out of it early, score two touchdowns in the first half, go up 14 nothing, 14-3, you're going to watch that play-action passing meltdown, and you're going to force Tannehill to be a pocket passer with no play-action threat. And that's going to pay dividends for the entire day. I, I guarantee you, if we can do that, 14-3, we win the football game. Right then and there. It's over. Your prediction on the outcome of Sunday's game.
2: It's like 50-50, because part of me believes that, like, could we be overlooking the Titans because we have the Chiefs on a short week?
1: I would normally think that. I'll let you finish.
2: Yeah, that's like 50% of me is that. Like, like this might be a game where the Bills, Bills, like we have for the last 20 years with Chiefs coming up on a short week. But I think Sean McDermott has this team so ready and so focused I don't think we're going to lose this game. I think we got this one in the bag and I'm going to call a 27 17 win.
1: I like that score. I like that score, sir. Here's the thing I think. This team has, is three and oh, right? But you just watched the four and chi- but you just watched the Chicago Bears get exposed for the three and oh frauds that they actually are.
2: Yes, they are frauds.
1: They went up against a team.
2: Colts have a somewhat decent defense, and I've heard. And they wilted.
1: They wilted like a wet plant. I'm looking at... They They wilted like you in front of a crowd of people. <laughs> Chris, you have stage fright.
2: Uh, no, I do not. No, okay. No, not at all. Like, if you tell me you have stage fright or can't do public speaking... My brain does not compre- comprehend how that's possible. I do can never understand anybody that has stage fright. I've never had stage fright at all. What, I love this because I, I just baited you into this. No, what I do have is is a, if it's one-on-one, that I don't want to be a part of.
1: So you don't want to have an intimate conversation with a person.
2: No, You're I don't. You're afraid of that. No, I'm afraid of intimate conversations. If you... <laughs> Like when I used to, when I used to work. Folks, this is the mania that I have to work with. When I worked in radio and I worked at Clear Channel in Atlanta as part part of the promotions department for Clear Channel and one of, they had 640 WGST down in Atlanta had the Atlanta Braves. So my first day working the Atlanta Braves event, we're out in the center field pavilion. We have our promotions tent set up right next to the pregame stage and our program director like tossed me a mic. We we're doing like a giveaway, like a flyaway, like go see the Braves on the road in San Diego. Toss me a mic because no one was at the tent and to, and says turn the PA on. So now I'm speaking to the entire center field pavilion at Turner Field, and it's like get people to the tent. Easy. Like I don't have stage fright ever. I don't get how that's a thing.
1: No, you're just scared of an actual intimate meaningful conversation 100 <laughs> i love it and here's what i love about this matchup i i love how i could I, chris cheers yeah you're like an onion the more layers i peel off you the more you stink but <laughs> I, I at least understand it <laughs> oh my prediction for this game this team has beaten up on a bunch of pretenders. That's it. You're 3-0 and because you've played three of the worst teams in the NFL. You're now going up against a team that's 4-0 and has handled, I'd say, decent adversity. We haven't played the upper echelon teams yet. The New England Patriots, the Kansas City Chiefs. So we don't know that the Bills are cream of the crop. But we have evidence to show that our team is on fire right now. And we're going up against a team that seems like they're paper tigers. There's flaws in their offensive and defensive approaches. They're not very talented, and I love that score. 17-24?
2: That's what you're going with? Plus, you're saying it wrong? You always know. go big number first? You're saying 24-17? to 17. I'm I said 27-17. Yeah, I was going to say, I, know you I, think, forgot I think it'll be already. a little
1: bit closer. I think it'll be a little bit closer. And I also think that the Bills are going to have to go for some field goals because we, as we watched, our offense, especially in the third quarter, has a, has a tendency to bog down. I think there's going to be a few field goals in there. So with that said, what do we put that, 26? Three field goals, 26? 26-17? All right. I think the score is close, but it's also evident that we are the better team. (sighs) Either way, it doesn't matter. Derek Henry, uh, John Henry,
2: (laughs) Chris Henry in a pickup truck. Chris Henry
0: in a pickup truck.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry, was that too soon?
1: Bills by a dozen. So, with that, folks, we're really excited about Sunday's game. We can't wait to see the action make sure you check out this week's AFC East Roundup podcast because we're giving out quarterly reports. If you're anything like us, you probably weren't great students in high school. You're probably used to dreading those. Yet for once, at least as Bills fans, we can't wait for them to come in. And we have a slate of fantastic guests from around the division who are going to help us to set exactly how our AFC East brethren are grading out this season at its first quarter poll. If you're petty like us, it's going to be a conversation where it's worth cracking at least a beer or two over. So make sure you go check it out. That's going to probably release sometime in the next 48 hours. With that said, we got to get the hell out of here. This has been fun. Chris, the Bills could go to 5 and 0. To 5 and 0.
2: I might have called that earlier uh, in the uh, off-season when I said there's a chance we could be undefeated 5 and 0 going into that Chiefs game.
1: With four wins in the AFC,
2: what I like to hear,
1: guys. I can't wait, but we got to get the hell out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been your Rock Ball Report.
2: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online book experts.